Hey, good morning, all. I am excited um, to be here with all of you. I wish it was warmer like it was yesterday, um, but, you know, I can't complain. Um, but I um, was thinking back to my childhood this week while I was preparing for this message, and um, I don't know about the rest of you guys, what kind of conversations your teachers were having with uh, you and your parents growing up, but when I was in first grade, um, the school nurse called my mom into her office uh, one afternoon, uh, telling her that she thought I was a hypochondriac who needed to seek professional counseling. Um, and she wasn't that far off. So um, truthfully, at that point in my life, for whatever reason, I was probably going to the nurse's office like two or three times a week with some new ailment. I was convinced I had um, a fever, a broken bone, uh, something or other, and was constantly convinced like, oh my goodness, something is wrong with me, and like this is the end. Death is knocking at my door at nine years old, and there is nothing I can do to stop it other than just greet it and move on. Um, which sounds really dramatic if you think about it, you know, like, but I, I was so consumed by this. Like, I was looking for it everywhere that I went. So much so that on two different occasions in elementary school, I convinced my parents to take me to urgent care because I thought I'd broken a bone to the point that when I actually broke my arm in fourth grade, my dad did not believe me until he was at the house, my friend's house, seeing the whole gnarly shebang. So besides breaking my arm once, though, in fourth grade, I was pretty much the picture of health. You know, I, I didn't have any super big issues, but I was afraid. And the more fearful I was about getting sick, the more convinced I was that it was just an inevitable. That must just be some part of me that just knew that it was coming. Um, and as my teenage years, uh, as I moved into them and I, I started to get into high school, those fears actually started to dissipate, but instead my actual health began to struggle. Um, I started to deal with a whole bunch of different complications. I was going to doctor to after doctor and put on um, medication after medication, different diagnoses, and no one could really figure out what was wrong with me other than I was in a lot of pain. And as high school moved into college and virtually nothing improved, it just felt like all of this was a big confirmation of what I had always been afraid of, right? I was just destined to be sick. My fears were true. You know, maybe at this point I, I wasn't going to die from it, but I was pretty convinced that I was just going to suffer for the rest of my life. And I lived in that fear. I lived that fear into my relationships with people. I was afraid to go over to someone's house or go hang out or meet people on campus because I was like, what happens if I get sick while I'm there? And all of a sudden, I have a crippling stomach ache and I have no medicine and nothing to do. Or I didn't want to pray for other people and pray for healing for them because I was like, I don't really feel like I've seen it in my own life. So how can I pray for that for someone else? This fear really just like consumed everything that I did. And, and sure, I was still like a functioning member of society, but I was being held back by it. You know, to be honest with you, I was using this fear as a crutch in most of my life. I knew that I could talk about this fear. I could talk about my health issues and my health anxieties, and immediately everyone would back off in my life. They'd be like, oh my goodness, Susanna's got a lot going on. I wouldn't have to risk failure. I wouldn't have to risk disappointing anyone because I could just throw my health anxiety up as like this white flag and everyone would just leave me be. And it was interesting sitting here thinking about this story and thinking about like this season of my life and realizing how often like we use our fears in this way, right? Like we, we take this thing that we're afraid of and we use it to hold space between us and whatever the next thing is in our life, whatever it is that, that, that makes us uncomfortable, that makes us anxious, that, that something that we don't want to do. 
And I was like, it, really, that's something that we so often do to ourselves, right? Like we let these fears and these doubts uh, come up to the surface and tell us who we are. And um, it's interesting because in the same way, we're like, man, I, I want to conquer the big faith giant in my life, right? Or, or just the big, the big thing that's in front of you. You know, maybe you want to be um, a better friend, or maybe you want to be a better spouse, or maybe um, you want to uh, have uh, better relationships with people just as a whole. You want to be a more trustworthy person, or maybe you have patterns that you want to break in your life, or maybe you want to learn how to share the gospel with people and tell people who Jesus is, but for some reason, there's something that keeps stopping you, right? There's something that you're like, oh, I can't, I can't get through here, and I don't know why. And that's because whatever our fear is that we're holding on to, it won't let us move forward. And maybe for you, you know, maybe it's not illness that keeps you stuck. Maybe it's um, fear of failure, like I was talking about before, and letting people down. Maybe it's, maybe you have a lot of debt, and you've got fear of money and fear of uh, your finances falling through. Or maybe there is a sin issue in your life that you really do not want to talk about or share with anyone yet. But whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever these things are, they're holding you back from what God wants to do in your life, right? We know it. We can see it. And even if you don't see it yet, you're going to reach a point where you hit this crossroads and you're like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's next. I don't know how I overcome this. And so that's really what we're talking about today is that we as a community of people and we as people who follow Jesus, um, we owe it to ourselves to get out of our own heads and give God our fear because we have to overcome the fear inside of us if we want to conquer the next thing in front of us. That's the big idea today. And so let's break that down. You know, how do we uh, logically do this, right? You're like, great, that sounds fantastic, Susanna. Yep, I've got a lot of fears that are keeping me at bay, but, but what does it look like for me to get rid of those? Well, we are going to dig into the story of Gideon today in the book of Judges and take a look at how Gideon confronts his fears in the Bible and see what we can learn from it instead. Um, now, uh, just a little preface, there is a lot of scripture in this message, um, but Judges is a really easy read. I promise it's going to be um, pain-free for all of us, and uh, we're going we're gonna to do it together, and it's going to be fantastic. But um, just for a little backstory, um, Gideon is a man who believes in God and lives in Israel, which has been under siege by the Midianites um, for a number of years at this point. And so the Midianites have been coming into Israel, and they've been um, pillaging the land, they've been um, destroying the crops, they've been stealing their harvest, they've really just been creating turmoil all around Gideon. And so this is the life that he lives, and it really tells us a lot pretty immediately about Gideon as we go into the scripture. So in Judges 6, 11 through 13, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah, owned by Joash the Abiezrite. He arrived while Joash's son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press so he could hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, The Lord is with you, courageous warrior. Gideon said to him, Pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why has such disaster overtaken us? Where are all his miraculous deeds our ancestors told us about? They said, Did the Lord not bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. 
Listen, there's a lot of sass that Gideon comes out just hot and heavy with as the angel of the Lord is standing in front of him. Um, and it's funny to look at, um, but personally, it kind of reminds me a lot of myself and probably a couple other people in the room can relate a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, Gideon has just been, um, uh, he's, he's angry about the hell that, sorry, he's angry about the hand that he's been dealt. He's just been faced with like this vision of God who's telling him this entirely separate thing about himself and he does not know what to do with it. And honestly, he's bitter and scared at all of the turmoil that's been going on in his life the last couple of years. You see, fear had been making its way into his heart for so long and tying him down so tightly that even when the angel of the Lord appears in front of him calling him a courageous warrior, it doesn't even cross his mind that that could be true. And this is really the first lesson that we learn from this story is that fear stands in the way of us trusting God. Always. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Our fear will always stop us from being able to hear God and trust what he's saying to us. So if we pick up again in verse 14, then the Lord himself turned to him and said, you have the strength. Deliver Israel from the power of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon said to him, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? I mean, just look, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my family. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you. You will strike down the whole Midianite army. Gideon said to him, if you really are pleased with me, then give me a sign as proof that it is really you speaking to me. Do not leave this place until I come back with a gift and present it to you. The Lord said, I will stay here until you come back. So as he goes back and forth, pretty much arguing with the angel of the Lord, it's evident that something is stopping him from trusting God. Because when we give fear sway in our hearts, we stop giving God a say in our lives, right? We're no longer able to hear from him because he's not the person that's on the throne in our heart anymore. That fear is instead. Instead, we tell God, you know, no, no, thank you. Like, I'm good all the way over here. I'm, you can keep your hope, and you can keep your strength, and you can keep your identity. I'm going to stay really comfortable where I am because I can't trust that that's true because the entire mindset that I've had up to this point doesn't fit with what you're saying to me. We just choose to assume that we can't do it because it just doesn't, it doesn't fit with the current paradigm. And it's interesting because so often, you know, what we say, what our mindset is like, well, if God would just appear and tell me what to do, I'd do it, I swear. Like if God just popped in front of me and was like, this is what you're supposed to do and this is who you are, I promise you I'd do it. I just haven't heard him say it yet. But Gideon, who's a person just like you and me, literally the Lord is standing right in front of him saying, this is who you are and this is what you should do. And he's still like, I don't know, I... This, his doubts are still in the way, right? His fears are still in the way because God isn't on the throne in his life. And so he can't overcome the fear inside of him until he lets God in to help him do it. We so anxiously plead with God for a sign of what to do, but what do we do when that sign comes against all of the anxieties and all of the things that we've agreed with and believed in our hearts? You know, maybe when that happens, we shut down. Or maybe you're the type of person that, like, runs away and pulls back from our relationships. Or maybe you get, like, uncannily bold like Gideon seems to. Um, But whatever happens, it's clear that God's truth 
and our fears can't share the same space at the same time. So let's keep reading in the story. Judges 6, 19 through 24. Gideon went and prepared a young goat along with unleavened bread made from an ephah of flour. God's angel said to him, put the meat and unleavened bread on this rock and pour out the broth. Gideon did as instructed. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff and fire flared up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. The angel of the Lord then disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, you are safe. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And then after this interaction, Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace or the Lord is on friendly terms with me. So as Gideon's fear keeps surfacing over and over again, there's only one possible solution on how he can keep it from overpowering him. He needed to see and recognize God for who he really was. And that's the same thing that we have to do today with our fears. We need to shift our perspective. If we don't overcome the fear inside of us, we can't conquer the next thing that God's asking us to do. I mean, Gideon wasn't even able to register that God's call to him could be true until he took this first step of shifting his perspective from excuses and worry to believing God over his own fears. And really, it was by God's absolute grace that he was willing to prove himself to Gideon at all. But once it happened, those fears began to chip away. And I think the same thing applies to us. I think that our perspectives also need to shift. I mean, if we look at those doubts and those fears that we were talking about at the beginning, how likely is it that any of those are feeding us truth, right? Do, do we think that our fears of failure are encouraging our relationships and uh, uh, bolstering, like uh, growing our ability to be bold and speak truth to our friends? Probably not. Or our fear of debt, is that putting us in a position where we can uh, give freely to the people around us, where we can generously tithe on a Sunday morning? It, It doesn't. None of these things do. Because by believing these fears, we don't have the right perspective for us to be able to trust God over them and do what he's asking us to do. And when that perspective began to shift, that's what began to change Gideon. And that's what can start changing our hearts too. And really that... Like, that concept in and of itself gets me really excited. Like, that could be the whole message, you know, all alone. That just by us just starting to shift our perspectives towards how God views things instead of how we view things can change us from the inside and the outside is incredible. But what's even more incredible is, like, that's not all that God does. Like, that's not the end of the story here. God has so much more that he does. In fact, Gideon's perspective doesn't just shift But if we keep following this story, when he hands that fear over to God, he gets something even greater in return. So picking back up in Judges 6, um, verses starting at 33, all the Midianites and Amalekites and the people from the east assembled. They crossed the Jordan River and camped in the Jezreel Valley. So super quickly, um, if you remember from the beginning, the Midianites are the people that are basically like pillaging and destroying Israel and where Gideon lives. And now all of the people of Midian and all of their allies in the east have all come together and are now basically positioning themselves at the border of Israel and are about to wreak havoc on the land. And it's interesting that this is happening just days after God put a call on Gideon to free his people. But 
Uh, the Lord's Spirit took control of Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and summoned them to follow him as well. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all came up to meet him. Think about this for a second. Just verses ago, this man was fearfully hiding and telling God how poor and weak and young he was. And now all of a sudden, he's gathering nations together in an army to free his land. I mean, isn't that crazy? That, and the only reason that that happens, like the only reason that any of this is available to Gideon is because he gave God his fear and God gave him his strength right? That's the only reason that anything changed in his life. It's not anything that Gideon was able to do. It's not anything that he figured out, you know, and, and he listened to enough podcasts and like did enough like meditative journaling in the morning. None of those things figured it out for him. It was because he gave God his fear, and so God gave him his strength. I mean, we can clearly see it in Gideon. The Holy Spirit takes control over him, and suddenly he has the capacity to do so much more than he could before. Because when God tells us to cast our fears onto him, he means it. You know, there was no hidden agenda with Gideon. God wasn't lying about how he planned to use him. No, once Gideon chose to serve God instead of fear, his life started to change. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This same promise exists for us, too. I felt it myself. A a few years ago, I was going through a really difficult bout of my health issues. I was um, basically in pain every day. I would get these really, really crippling bad stomach aches. And um, honestly, I was kind of pissed off. I was bitter. I was frustrated that this has been an issue I'd been dealing with for so long and that it seemed like it was just getting worse and was complaining to pretty much anyone in my life all of the time. It was the most common thing I was talking about by far. Um, And because of that, I basically decided, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just chronically ill, and that is my new identity. That's what I'm telling everyone is, this is just chronic illness. This is just my life now. I'm just everyone's chronically ill friend. And I kept that act up for like a couple of weeks until a really good friend of mine at the time pressed me on it and was like, why did you start, like, did something, did something change, like, in your health? Why did, why did you start telling everyone that you're chronically ill? And I realized, you know, to some degree, yes, I'd been sick for a while, but no doctor had ever said that anything I had wasn't curable and that I was going to be sick forever. I had just decided that I was too fearful to keep hoping, so instead I was just going to accept the situation that I was in. I was just going to live in it, and my new perspective was just going to be defeat and Susanna is sick for the rest of her life. And as I had this conversation um, with this friend and we started talking about um, these fears, I realized that that fear was stopping me from going anywhere else in my relationships, in my faith, in my work, in my job, because I was letting it all the way back at the beginning, like I was talking about, I was using it as a white flag again that stopped me from from being held accountable or having to grow. And, And in theory, I wanted to grow, But it was just too hard at that point because all of the fears that I had let take root in my head. But I realized as I sat with that friend and as we prayed and we talked about it, that even when it didn't make sense, I still owed God my trust in it. And I still had to believe that he was going to do something for me, even if I didn't see it. 
And so in that moment, I made the choice that I was no longer going to agree with the fact I was chronically ill. I, I, I prayed against it, and I was like, this is not true. This is not who I am. And I prayed for God to heal me, even if I didn't see it, and even if it didn't make any sense to me. And let me tell you, like, my life changed immediately. I, I'm not saying that I'm not sick anymore, but as soon as I prayed and, like, broke the agreement that I was chronically ill, I suddenly had half of the pain that I had had the week prior. And I had double the energy that I had the week prior. And I had a way better attitude in all of my relationships with people. And it entirely broke the perspective in my head because I had always thought that for me to be healed, it had to look like like a doctor throwing confetti at me and being like, you're never going to be in pain again, you know? But that's not what it looked like. What healing looked like was me saying, I'm going to trust God over my fears and over my pain and over my doubts. And trusting God is what brought me healing. Trusting God is what brought me relief. I needed to have Jesus help overcome the fear inside of me in order for me to move forward past it. And that's the same thing that God did in Gideon. Like, this is a pattern in who God is, is really what I'm trying to drive home today. This is available to all of us. And if we look back at Gideon's story once more, he struggled with those same doubts. So after, um, after where we left off in Judges, after sending out the messengers all over to build up this army, um, Gideon's humanity came to play. And he actually um, falters in his trust for God and two more times asks God to prove to him that he's real and prove that he can trust him. And this shows us this is not necessarily like a good thing. We shouldn't follow in his path. But what it does show us is that clearly, just like myself, Gideon had fears that were still taking control over his heart. He had start to see, he'd started to see change and growth in his life. But these fears still needed to be broken off for him to really trust the Lord. So let's see what the Lord did for him. Moving on to Judges 7, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to hand Midian over to you. Israel might brag, Our own strength has delivered us. Now announce to the men, Whoever is shaking with fear may turn around and leave Mount Gilead. 22,000 men went home, and only 10,000 remained. The Lord then spoke to Gideon again. There are still too many men. Bring them down to the water, and I will thin the ranks some more. So he brought the men down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, separate those who lap the water as a dog laps from those who kneel to drink. Only 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and the rest of the men kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will deliver the whole army, and I will hand Midian over to you. The rest of the men should go home. You see, God isn't in the business of just half-heartedly changing us. You know, just just bringing us halfway there. God didn't want to just quiet Gideon's fears. God wanted to overcome Gideon's fears. And in order for that to happen, God had to not only be sure that the Israelites didn't see themselves as the heroes of the story, but that Gideon knew who was really winning the battle for him. Because fear wouldn't be able to provide any victory or support in this fight. Fear would have to be completely overcome, and the ground would have to be prepared for the battle to be conquered. And so in the middle of the evening, the Holy Spirit comes and wakes Gideon up and tells him that now is the time to strike. He leads him to hear a dream 
given to one of the other men in the military at his base, and the dream basically guarantees to him that the Midianites are going to surrender and that they're going to have the victory. So in Judges 7, 15 through 22, Gideon went back to the Israelite camp and said, Get up, for the Lord is handing the Midianite army over to you. He divided the 300 men into three units, and he gave them all trumpets and empty jars with torches inside them. He said to them, watch me and do as I do. Watch closely. I am going to the edge of the camp. Do as I do. When I and all who are with me, uh, yes, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, you also blow your trumpet all around the camp. Then say, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon took a hundred men to the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, so just after the change of the guards, and all three units blew their trumpets and broke their jars. They held their torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right, and they yelled a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They stood in order all around the camp, and the whole Midianite army ran away. They shouted as they scrambled away, and the Lord caused the Midianites to attack one another with their swords throughout the camp. The army fled. You see, when we're promised in Scripture that God will take our fears and replace it with his strength, he means it. And when we are strengthened by God, our boundaries are expanded. I mean, we just heard 300 men who scared away 135,000 men in the middle of the night, all because of the power of Jesus. The nation of Israel that had been pillaged uh, daily at this point was now freed because Gideon overcame the fear inside of him, which then gave him the power to conquer the thing in front of him. I mean, this story is as clear and as simple as that. That capacity to take an angry and bitter son who's just trying to stuff grain in a hole in the ground so he has food to eat and change him into a man who's commanding armies and sending people fleeing from his land, that capacity is available to all of us who find our strength in the Holy Spirit. And while we aren't being asked by the Lord to probably lead any armies here in Manhattan right now, we are being asked to face different battles for God daily, whether those be spiritually, relationally, physically. God wants to bring us victory. Like he wants to present us with opportunities and he wants to expand our boundaries beyond our wildest dreams. In both my story and in Gideon's, we were like chock full of doubts and fears and apprehensions and all of these excuses of why we couldn't do it, but the evidence was still clear. What we gained from, gaining, from getting our, uh, what we gained from giving God our trust was so much better than the little bit of security that it felt like our fears provided for us. So that's the call that I want to bring to all of you today. We need today to dig in And ask God to just show us one of those fears that's standing in the way in our life. Name that fear, and then ask God to give us his strength in place of that fear. And I can't tell you that that's going to be like the easiest choice or the most comfortable choice. But we're called to find freedom so we can go into battle for ourselves and for the people around us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just ask this morning that you come into our hearts, God, and that you just take our fears and run with them, Lord. 
Lord, that you just encourage um, like those of us who are listening and they're thinking about that thing that has just been gripping their heart for years and years, God. And Lord, that you just give them the confidence and the assuredness that they can let go of that today, Jesus. That they don't have to keep using that fear as part of their identity, God, but that, Lord, you want to move and that you're going to do something incredible in their lives. And, Lord, that when they get their strength from you, their boundaries are expanded even beyond that, God. That you are a God who fulfills his promises and that you're a God that we can trust even when we're facing what feels like 135,000 men coming to cause war in our lives, God. We trust you today, Lord, and we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And um, if you aren't already feeling encouraged by the fact that God wants to move in your lives, we actually have a really incredible testimony we want to share today um, from um, Elizabeth Esch, who has had God moving in her life in some really incredible ways. So Elizabeth, if you'll come up. Thanks, Susanna, for that great message. Um, you have to forgive me as I will definitely be reading off my phone <laughs> to deal with nerves and everything else. So, um, I have always struggled to make my faith my own. Um, both my parents are very godly people um, who did their best to teach me his ways. Um, I was homeschooled and much of my day was spent learning about God through the Bible, studies, and our Christian-based um, curriculum. However, my actions were just religious. Um, And through that, I realized that being a Christian is not knowing a lot about God, which I definitely, I definitely did. Um, It's about loving him and putting him first in everything. Um, And that's what lordship is. Um, Until recently, I thought that asking for forgiveness and accepting Jesus into my heart was enough, and that's all that he needed. Um, But it's not. Um, He's not just our Savior. He is also our Lord. Um, Over the last year, God has revealed himself to me in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm so grateful for the Living Waters study that we did um, last year and for the wonderful mentors we have here at Bluemont. Um, It was through their guidance that I learned how to listen to God, um, God's voice for the first time. Um, Before that, I'd never heard him speak to me, and I just kind of did what I thought was was right. Over the last six years, it's been very difficult for me and my family, Um, but we've all grown and changed um, because of those hard times. Um, This summer was probably the worst, the worst of it, Um, but through that experience, I learned about God's character um, and have seen the Bible come to life. Um, The words became more than ideas, but also reality. Um, I, for me personally, the hardest thing that I had to learn and grow through was that God does not really care about my comfort, (laughs) um, (laughs) but my sanctification process, um, he's going to do whatever is best for me in the long run, um, not in the moment, um, per se, um, and that's his goal for us as Christians, is to become more like Christ, and generally that happens through pain, um, um, I think I'll be relearning this lesson for a long time. <laughs> um, it probably won't be over, but um, I have the confidence that God will do what's best for me, um, and not only me, but everyone else. Um, and that's this kind of power is what makes him God <laughs> and worthy to be praised. Um, to bring this back home, a few weeks ago, I decided to make Jesus not only my Savior, but also my Lord. 
Um, from now on, I want him to be the ruler of my life that I have chosen to serve and to love. Man, uh, so so good, Elizabeth. I just really, really thank you for coming and sharing that. Man, I, I think it's so true that, uh, so true that what Susanna said, I mean, we have to overcome the fear inside of us to move on to the next thing. And, you know, I'm um, just even hearing Elizabeth's testimony, her talking about the sanctification process. Uh, wow. Like I think about, you know, a lot of times people will talk about their testimony, right? And it's just this one time that they gave their life to Jesus. But actually what what Elizabeth is saying and preaching, man, is that, hey, actually, we should have so many testimonies of the things that God has brought us through that, man, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, when we choose to overcome fear and trust in God, man, there's constantly things that he's doing. And, and that's the power of the gospel that, man, it's not just being set free from sin and shame once, but actually that constantly over time, man, God is revealing himself to us in new ways and giving us power to live as humans on the earth. Um, man, and so, man, Elizabeth, thank you so much, uh, and that's all we have for you guys today, so, um, man, you're dismissed, and have a great day.